All right, uh, we finished looking at the threefold mediatorial office of Christ last week in section one. We're in chapter eight still. Uh, the remaining sentences in section one say this. It says, from all eternity, God gave to the son a people to be his offspring. In time, these people will be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by him. Okay, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about these things while we were still in chapter 7. Um, several, several weeks. Um, and, and most of these actually had their own lesson. So uh, I'm just going to refer you back to those and move on to the next section instead of covering the exact same thing over again, uh, especially this soon after we just covered it in the last chapter. However... <clears throat> The next section is going to bring us into a time of review as well. Um, many of you will recall we spent several weeks uh, upon weeks upon weeks uh, moving through the doctrine of the Trinity about a year and a half ago. <laughs> um, I think most of you were there for that. So tonight we're moving into that doctrine's corollary, the, uh, the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. And so, I also think that's interesting in God's timing that this is that we would come to this during Advent season. I didn't plan that; it just happened that way. Um, but anyway, so we're going to be moving on to chapter eight, section two, and section two says this: the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, the same in substance and equal with him. He made the world and sustains it and governs everything he has made. When the fullness of time came, he took upon himself human nature with all the essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit came down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus, he was born of a woman from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David in fulfillment of the scriptures. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without converting one into the other or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. <clears throat> so for those who were here for those lessons on the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, you will probably recall that we considered James, White, uh, James White's three-point biblical argument for the doctrine of the Trinity. It's been a year and a half. I'm going to remind you of what the three points were. Um, point number one. There is one and only one God, eternal, immutable. We put that very simply. We believe in monotheism, one God. Point number two, there are three eternal persons described in Scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. These persons are never identified with one another. That is, they are carefully differentiated as persons. So... Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. Different persons. Point number three, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are identified as being fully deity. That is, the Bible teaches the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit. So there's... Um, it's not that God is divided up and one-third of God is the Father and one-third is the Son and one-third is the Spirit. Um, it's not that, well, God is in the mode of Father and then over here he's in the mode of the Son and then he becomes in the mode of the Spirit. Uh, all of that stuff's heresy. That's not the teaching. The teaching is you have one God, three persons. And all of the persons have the fullness of the deity. It's this last point of uh, James Watt's argument that I intend to review tonight, at least insofar as it pertains specifically to Christ. 
um, because what we're going to be looking at tonight is the deity of Christ. And my intention is we'll get to the humanity of Christ next week. So I'm just going to jump straight into the scriptures. Um, and that's pretty much, we're just going to read a lot of scripture and talk about the scripture. Um, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 19. <clears throat> uh, and we're going to look particularly at verse 24, but I'll probably read, let's see, 23 through 29. I think that'll be good. Just for context. Genesis 19, I'm going to read 23 through 29, but we're focusing on verse 24. Okay, it says, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So Lot is fleeing from Sodom. That's where he flees to, is Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife uh, behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So in verse 24, uh, there seems to be a personal distinction made. The covenant name of God is stated there. Uh, so the passage properly could be translated. Then Yahweh reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. Yahweh reigned from Yahweh. See the differentiation there. Um, then, if you go back down to verse 29, God remembered Abraham. So the one that was raining down is the same uh, raining down the sulfur is the same one that remembers Abraham. Um, if we look back at Genesis 18, which I'm not going to do, but I'm just going to refer you there. There is this conversation between Yahweh and Abraham in which Yahweh has pronounced judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham tried to intercede by bidding Yahweh down, so to speak, uh, saying that if there's just ten righteous people in the city, it could be spared. Yahweh had appeared to Abraham in some visible manifestation flanked by two angels who had already gone ahead of him to Sodom passage ends with Yahweh going his way and Abraham returning to his place. And then in Genesis 19.14, we see the angels warning that it was Yahweh himself who was about to destroy the city. This brings us then to verse 24, where we have this visible manifestation of Yahweh on earth, raining down sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. In other words, this was a Christophany, or a pre-incarnate manifestation of God the Son. Both Yahweh on earth and Yahweh in heaven are the one God, but there is a personal distinction to be made. Alright, uh, now we're going to look at several passages in Psalms, but I'm grouping the passages together for a reason. Um, these are all going to be, they're going to come together in the New Testament. I'll just show you them together. So let's go to Psalm 2 first. Okay, Psalm chapter 2, the entire psalm. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. 
He's God's son in a special way. He's God's begotten son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, or pay homage to the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, now let's go over to Psalm 45. Verses 6 and 7. Okay, Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God... That's an interesting phrase. God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So whoever this is, is being identified as God, and they're also being identified as somebody who recognizes God as their God. Okay. Um, Psalm 102. Verses 16 through 28. Uh, 45 verses 6 through 7. And then Psalm 102 is verses 16 through 28, but particularly we want to focus on verses 25 through 27, and you'll see why in a minute. Um, but I'm going to read 16 through 28. All right, it says, For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course, he has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Alright, and then catch these ones. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. You are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Okay. Now, with those uh, verses in mind, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. All right, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so Jesus, it's not said Jesus' name yet, but he's being identified as the son of God. We have a separation of persons, okay? No, a distinction. I misworded that. It's a distinction of persons. We don't want to say separation because they're not separate. Uh, so he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, talking about the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we could probably stop right there, and that proves the deity of Christ, but it gets better. He goes on to say, For to which of the angels did God ever say? So God is talking to the Son now. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And we're about to read that passage. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He just goes through there and quotes all of those psalms we just read and then makes it very clear. Those are about Jesus. Those that are talking about deity, they're directed to God, they're about God, they're about Jesus. Um, as a side note on this, I want to remind you of a little apologetic tip that I mentioned here before, and I think I mentioned it actually when we were teaching on the Trinity. Uh, Psalm 102, 25-27, in combination with Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, is a good way of arguing for the deity of Christ when you're witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, take them to the Psalm 102, 25 and 27, using their own New World Translation. So grant them that. Because they're not going to think you have a legitimate translation. Grant them that. Read that passage in the New World Translation and then get them to agree with you the passage is referencing Jehovah because it's clearly referencing Jehovah. It actually says the word Jehovah in uh, the New World Translation. Then, still using their own translation, take them to Hebrews 1, 8, and 9 and show them how the passage is applied to Jesus. Somehow that escaped the guys that did that. It's actually still in their translation. Okay. Um, let's go back to the Psalms now. Psalm 110. Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, or Yahweh said to my Adonai, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. We have a distinction of persons. Also, David is referring to whoever this Adonai is. It's distinct from Yahweh, but it's still recognized as his Lord. That'll be important in a minute. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter uh, chiefs. Over the wide earth, he will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. Um, so, you know, again, we see a personal distinction between Yahweh and Adonai. And just as a side note, this Old Testament verse, uh, Psalm 110.1, 1, 
is the most quoted one in the New Testament. By far. It's not even close. Um, anyway, the incarnate Christ exposed the Pharisees with this passage as well. Um, it was understood, it was commonly understood, that this is a messianic psalm. So that was not in dispute uh, in Jesus' day. However, it was a mystery how David's son could also be David's Lord because the father would naturally have authority over his son. Um, we kind of talked about that in terms of, uh, of covenant headship, right? So let's go over to uh, Matthew chapter 22 and um, verses 41 through 46. Because I actually want us to read this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees where uh, Jesus is actually going to pose this question to them. And, you know, in retrospect, it's easy for us, especially under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to understand what Jesus was implying. But maybe it wasn't so easy uh, prior to the crucifixion, especially for those who were um, carnal-minded. So... Uh, Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. This was correct. Um, God had promised David in the Davidic covenant that he would have a son to sit on his throne forever. So they were not wrong in their answer. He said to them, how is it then that David, in the Spirit, so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the way, you see Jesus' view of Scripture there. It is God's Word. Um, but David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This question silenced them, basically. Um, now we know the reason he could call him Lord was because Jesus is God. So that um, that would be the answer to the question. Um, David's greater son, according to the flesh, was God incarnate. All right. Now, let's flip back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 6. Before I launch into Isaiah 6, does anybody got anything they want to add so far? Or any questions or anything like that? So Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Because he's clearly identifying who he is seeing is Yahweh. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, 
and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, Isaiah is clearly saying he saw Yahweh. Now let's go to John chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at verses 36 through 41. So John chapter 12, verses 36 through 41. So in uh, verse 36, we're picking up in verse 36, it's Jesus that's speaking there. It says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah says, uh, said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Him being Jesus. So there, John makes it clear that the, the Yahweh that Isaiah saw was the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, who did Isaiah say this was? In verse 1, back in Isaiah 6, in verse 1, he says that he is Adonai, he is Lord. In verse 3, the seraphim say he is Yahweh of hosts. In verse 5, Isaiah says he is the king, Yahweh of hosts. Clearly, Isaiah was saying he had seen God himself, and John makes it clear that Isaiah saw Jesus. So, this was another Christophany, and it is a clear identification of Yahweh with Jesus Christ. All right. There's one uh, more reference that would be really good with that as well. That would be Revelation chapter 4, which is almost an identical passage to Isaiah 6. Interesting. Okay. And we know that's about Christ. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, look up Revelation 4 also. Um, I'm going to go to Isaiah 9, though. I'm going to go back to Isaiah. So, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Again, really good for Christmas. Um, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and, up, and, uh, and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So clearly this is a human child, but a human child that grows and he is called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. I, mean, I think that's clearly... Uh, ascribing deity to this child. Um, okay, uh, Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. Another messianic uh, passage. Also... Um, passage where Jesus gets his favorite title for himself, Son of Man. 
he says that he's pointing back to this passage specifically. So uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So one person. And the son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. So it'd be God the Father. Okay, so we now have the Son of Man, God the Father, distinct persons, okay? Son of Man goes to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, talking about the Son of Man, was given uh, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this Son of Man is able to ascend into the very presence of God the Father, That also is ascribing deity. Even though the title is Son of Man, it's still ascribing deity. Alright. Let's go to Matthew 14 now. By the way, I just want to point out, so far what we've done is we've looked at Old Testament passages, and the only reason we've gone to the New Testament is the New Testament might shed more light on what the passage means. But otherwise, so far we've proven the deity of Christ from the Old Testament. Um, and this is what you know. This is what the apostles would have been doing because the New Testament wasn't written yet. Um, so the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. Just a side note. Anyways, Matthew fourteen. Uh, 22 through 33. It says, Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat uh, by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's what we're looking at. I'll tell you why in a minute. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is before he dies and resurrects too. And they're worshiping him, and he accepts the worship. Okay? But I really want to draw your attention to verse 27. Um, Verse 33 is important because that just explicitly says it, even in English. But in verse 27, the ESV translates the Greek uh, of of Jesus' statement, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. That phrase, it is I, what Jesus actually said uh, in Greek was ego I me, or I am. He didn't say it is I, he said I am. He identified himself by the divine name is what he did. This was a direct claim to deity. And the response you see at the end of the passage evidences that. So he says to them, I am. And then when he gets on the boat and the winds die down, they worship him and attribute deity to him. Truly, you are the Son of God. All right. A couple chapters over. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? There he's using that title, but let's see what actually happens here. 
And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He attributes deity to him. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, verifying he is truly the Son of God, my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Who has the keys of the kingdom of heaven but God? And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. All right. Um, Let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Before we read this, uh, I do want to just have a disclaimer here. There, this is, there's a textual variant here. Okay, So some manuscripts do not include the part that I'm including this for. Okay, um, I'm taking it to be inspired, but you just need to know it, it, it is a textual variant there. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, then same chapter, let's move down to verse 9. Mark 1.9, uh, verse, uh, verses 9 through 11. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven... You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Well, there's the testimony of God the Father right there um, for everyone to audibly hear. Um, and then we go to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were half right. Their question was, was correct. Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, yeah, God is the only one that can forgive sins. Uh, but he was not blaspheming. Um, and immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? It's actually easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Okay, <laughs> that's actually easier. Um, because that's not something that touches the justice and the righteousness of God. That was the easier one. So he's actually proving the greater by the lesser in his argumentation. Jesus continues, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Mark chapter 3, <clears throat> in verses 7 through 12. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Adumia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. 
And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So this is his enemies confessing who he is. It's like the demons knew. Even though uh, his Jewish opponents were blind to what was in front of their eyes, the demons knew who he was. <clears throat> All right, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the uh, uh, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. So this mighty guy that nobody can tame sees Jesus and he runs up and he falls before him. Jesus didn't even touch him. He just falls before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This mighty man, nobody can... He just sees Jesus and falls down and, and confesses who he is. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So not only did this one unstoppable man, demon-possessed though he was, come and fall down before Jesus, an entire legion of demons were bowing down before Jesus, confessing who he was, realizing they, they were outmatched. A legion versus one Jesus. Okay. Um, all right. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also uh, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus is saying God's his Father and that judgment has been given to him in that passage. Uh, just a couple verses down. Mark 9, 2 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he did not know what to say. For they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. God the Father again testifies, This is my Son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. He was transfigured before them. They saw his glory. And then they heard the testimony of God the Father, This is my Son. Okay, Mark 13. Uh, we're going to do, in Mark 13, we're going to look at 24 through 27 and then skip down to verse 31. It 
says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And then down in 31 it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Okay, this is... This is also directly referencing Daniel 7. Okay. Mark 14, uh, verses 61 through 64. This is at the trial uh, of Christ. It says, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Very similar to what we just read. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. But why? They understood Jesus was himself saying, He's God. That's the blasphemy. If he wasn't God, it would have truly been blasphemy. But since he is God, he was only telling them the truth. Um, one more in Mark. Mark uh, 15, 39. And when the, uh, when the centurion who stood facing him saw... That in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly this man was the son of God. Uh, let's see. I think we can get a couple more in. We're about to the end here. Um, let's look at another Christmas passage. <laughs> uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Right there you see the incarnation. Son of God, Son of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angels answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Even with the Christmas thing here. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Uh, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The claim to deity there, today is born to you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Only God is curious, Lord. All right. Um, let's look at Luke chapter 4. 
uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 13 and then skip down to verse 41 in the same chapter. So Luke 4, 1 through 13, and then verse 41 after that. <clears throat> and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, this is after his baptism, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, there's the temptation here. He, he proved that you are who you say you are. Why is he saying, if you are the Son of God, if Jesus does not believe himself to be the Son of God? He says, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written. He appeals to scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be, or it will all be yours. So in other words, I'm going to give you the reward you'll get for being obedient to the Father, but without the suffering. That's the temptation there. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now skip down to uh, verse 41. It says, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew, they knew that he was the Christ. Alright. We are out of time. That did not even make it. <laughs> oh well. All right, we'll we'll leave off right there um, in the middle of Luke. Maybe we'll finish this and get to um, the humanity of Christ next week. Anything else before we dismiss? All right, nothing else. I'm gonna we'll dismiss with prayer. Father in heaven above, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of these passages that tell us very clearly that our Lord Jesus Christ is God. And I pray that you would help us to continue to consider these and other passages that teach this and to live uh, in the light of that truth. Um, and also that he is truly human. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, as we try to study that next week, if that would be your will. And um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.